This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. At Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave, although you can't see me. Because somebody has pulled the internet plug on the man cave here. We have our suspicions. My golly. Maybe it's a government. We don't know. But anyway, we're going to have an unusual arrangement this morning here where you can see my good friend, my regular Wednesday guest, uh, par excellence, Ted Yoho. So you're actually being able to see, as I understand it, because I can't see. Our internet is down, but I'm talking on our calling line. So we're going to try to conduct the show as normal with the roles reversed. Ted is the host and I'm the guest, so to speak. And uh, we'll hopefully pull off a good show for you because there's a lot of interesting things to talk about, of course. Uh, we are sponsored uh, by, of course, Melbourne Law Studio and protected by Crime Prevention 24-7, 365, and all of our great sponsors and our great uh, uh, supporters who are donors. And I want to give a shout-out before we begin the show today to one of our great supporters who has been steadfastly uh, fascinated and and connected to the Ward Scott Files. Uh, you know him as Plantation Mark. A uh, little birdie told me today secretly, and Mark doesn't know I'm going to say this, but today is his birthday, so everybody wish him a happy birthday out on the chat line. He's a wonderful guy. He is uh, uh, the all-around man, lives in the woods and lives close to nature, and yet uh, is wired in about as much as anybody I know. So, uh, Ted, I can't see you, but I trust you're there. Uh, can you confirm that, sir? <laughs> yeah, I'm here, Ward, and uh, I am not in the Warthog Cave. You are, and uh, nobody can replace you. Uh, you're a force of nature, and, uh, you know, people tune in to see you. And uh, unfortunately, they won't be able to see you today unless something happens with uh, modern technology. Yeah, we, well, it's, we're all uh, we're all hanging by a thread with this Internet, and, uh this is the first time it was running right up almost to showtime, and mysteriously it went bye-bye. So uh, we have got the, through the miraculous call-in line, which I'm using now, and we got our great production uh, uh, guide behind us, Tammy, who is always uh, there supporting us with excellent expertise. So today, the thing that's been on Ted's mind, we were going to talk about before we came on the show, should be on everybody's mind. It's being treated uh, euphemistically, if I might say. I don't know if Ted agrees with me on this, but uh, as if it's a ho-hum another day at the office, we'll just raise the uh, debt ceiling if we need to print more money and kick the can on down the road. But at some point, that's got to stop. And we've got Ted here with us who went to uh, the belly of the beast, uh, if you will, about eight years or ten years now maybe ago, to stop the doggone rising debt. And you see how successful he was. He didn't uh, stop it. He couldn't seem to put a dent in it. And it's been getting worse and worse. So, Ted, I'm going to sit back and listen to you. I've read the article that you sent me to read about it. I've read a couple of others. And it just seems as if um, it's trickery with numbers. And what I'm concerned about, Ted, is ultimately, and I don't want to uh, get to the end of your story before you talk about it, defaulting on retirement, defaulting on things that, really have given seniors a quality of life, uh, that would be the really um, the worst scenario of all, I believe. But take it away, Ted. No, I appreciate the, the tee-up that you just did. And, you know, going what's going on right now with your Internet, I mean, it just shows you how vulnerable we are if there were to be an EMP, whether it's naturally caused by a solar flare or other uh, entity like that, or a, a malicious attack by, say, North Korea, Russia, whoever. Anybody that has an atomic bomb that can launch it and explode it about 25 miles above the atmosphere, it shuts down the Internet 100%. And there's a lot of good books out there that talk about this. Ted Koppel has one, uh, several other people. And the predictions in there are, are just staggering. 
Um, I mean, some of those books talk, and MIT did the study too, um, uh, that life in America, they predicted over 80% of the people would perish in a year in this country because of our dependency on the internet and the structure of that. But that's for another topic. Um, you know, I appreciate you teeing up the, uh, the, the argument, the debate, the never-ending story. It's the Groundhog Days, or as Yogi Berra says, this is deja vu all over again. And, um, you know, we all know the definition of insanity, and Congress is doing it again. And what I'm referring to is the uh, discussion today, but soon to be the argument over raising the debt ceiling. And the debt ceiling is, if ma- imagine your credit card. <clears throat> you have a limit of, say, 2500 5000 10000 whatever it is, that is your debt ceiling. And so we know that if you spend over that, you're going to get a call from the credit card company. They're going to tell you to, to pay your, your bill. And uh, sometimes they'll cut off your credit <clears throat> until you get everything in order and, and the bill's paid. Our Congress works the same way. Uh, we have a debt ceiling that we're not, that Congress is not supposed to go over, but they ignore it. And when I went into Congress in uh, 2013, uh, you guys have heard me talk a, a lot about this. And my predecessor, he went in in 1989. The debt ceiling in 89 was 2.5 trillion. When I went in in 2013, it was 13.5 trillion. And what I saw was they just kept doing the same thing over and over again without addressing the underlying causes. And the underlying cause is unchecked spending um, in the different programs that are on automatic renewal with a COLA increase in a lot of those. And and so I remember our first uh, first meeting with John Boehner up there, uh, he would set the freshmen down and try to educate them on different things. And I remember this one in particular where he says, now the debt ceiling, it's coming up. And I don't want to hear anybody in here as a freshman saying you're not going to raise the debt ceiling because we've already spent that money. So we have got to pay that or the country will default. And um, I missed that meeting and I came in late and I I says, I'm not supporting it. Of course, we had some exchanges back and forth. It was, it was memorable. And, um, um, I says, why can't you do in business um, like we do if you're short of money and you need money for operating, borrow money on a bridge loan and pay it back? And he goes, well, we're broke. And he goes, we got to pay our bills. And I says, what bill is is overdue right now? And he looked at me and he couldn't answer me um, because they're so fixed into this narrative that you have to raise the debt ceiling. So we fought and fought and fought. And when it came time for the vote, we block raising the debt ceiling. Fast forward to today, what they have done, and it's happened over six times since those discussions, is they erase the debt ceiling. So they get rid of the debt ceiling, and Ward, you're gonna, you're, this, this, this will just stagger you and the people listening. So imagine your credit card company, you've got a limit of, say, 10,000. You go over that credit card company says you need to get your your finances in in uh, control, and you say, you know what? Do me a favor, just take the limit off of my my spending, and at the end of the year we'll settle up. Well, the end of the year for the federal government is uh, the fiscal year ends September thirtieth, and then we'll pay our bill. Well, the end of the year comes, we don't have the money, so we've got to borrow it. Um, you and I can't go out and borrow it if we have bad debt and we have a, been a bad steward of our money. But the federal government, it doesn't concern them because they can just print more money. And the effect of that is it drives everything up because the printing of more money, putting more money into the market, decreases the value of our dollar. And that happens time and time again. And the bottom line is it shoots the debt up. We're at over $31.4 trillion. And you're going to hear this fight. But it's unlike the fight for the speaker. The speaker was a temporary moment uh, deciding who was going to be Kevin McCarthy and these people, you know, for Speaker of the House. That was just a blip in the, the two-year session of Congress. In fact, nobody even talks about it anymore. But this debt ceiling fight, this is something that generations of Americans are already indebted to 
but it's going to affect generations of Americans from forevermore. Um, and so with that, Ward, do um, you want to take it from there? Well, I want to ask a couple of questions as, uh, that you've um, maybe reflect. I can't see the chat line and what questions are coming from them, but um, do you think because things are dire, first of all, do they recognize that they're dire? And A, and by they I mean those who continue to raise it. And is this a mixed bag? Are the Republicans and Democrats raising it? Or is there any possibility that Democrats and Republicans can agree to stop it? So I'm, I'm really asking whether there will be any cooperation and the partisanship will be dropped. I know you're, I'm asking to look in a crystal ball, but uh, it seems to me we need to start there. No, I agree with you. Um, I wish I had a crystal ball. I don't. I have a, a, a vision of the past and what's worked in the past and what didn't work. And to answer your question, can they? Yes, they can come together. Um, more pertinent is will they? And I will say no, because Democrats, the, the Marxists, I mean, I, it's hard to call them Democrats compared to 20 years ago. When you look at the programs they're doing in there, and the division in this country, their goal is to give more money away. Keep in mind, you have the Progressive Caucus in there. The Progressive Caucus does not like America. They are the Marxists, and they want redistribution of wealth. Our vice president wants equity for everybody. Everybody should be equal. Well, that's not the way the universe works. Um, you know, you get it, it goes back to biblical principles that this country was founded on. You earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. That that principle is is not changed and will not change. And um, the Democrats um, wanting to give more money away, they're not going to work at um, uh, trying to reel in spending. And neither will the Republicans. And you know, I can go back to when we had the the argument on the farm bill for food stamp reform. Um, the Republicans voted for it in committee. None of the Democrats did. And then when it came to the House floor, there were Republicans voting against these reforms because politicians worry about their next election. And if they vote against a reform that will reduce payments or put in work requirements, on, say on food stamps, they're, they're afraid that the people running against them will say, oh, he, he cut your benefits. He did this. And the only thing that's going to change us is, number one, leadership in the House and the Senate and coming together with a plan to say we need to stave off this growing out-of-control debt because it's unmanageable. If you look at our interest rates today or the amount of money we have to spend servicing our debt with today's interest rate, it equals what we're spending on uh, military spending. And... Um, let me see where I want to go with that. You know, if you look at our debt as a nation, it's if you look at a pie chart, uh, back in 1964, 30% 30 of our nation's spending was what we called mandatory. And that was things like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, although they weren't in, in, in force like they are today. Um, uh, service on our debt, um, those are all mandatory programs. 70% was discretionary spending. So 70% of the money the federal government brought in back then, we, we could do to invest. And that's why somebody like Eisenhower could put in the interstate system. Kennedy could start a space program and we could go to the moon because we had the money to put in the research and development. We were flush with cash. The opposite of that is true today. Our mandatory spending is over 70%. Our discretionary is 30%. And again, if you go back to what is mandatory spending, it's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the retirement programs for all your federal workers. Um, it's the service on our debt, which is the interest payment on our debt. The discretionary income is a little bit less than 30%. And what is discretionary? Half of it, over half of it goes to our military budget. They just passed that. I think it was $785 billion. No, 800 and some billion dollars. Um, for just military, the rest of that runs 
all of government, all your agencies, all your departments, uh, the Department of Transportation, the Energy, Education, all that, USDA, all that comes out of that little sliver that's left. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a situation that is unattainable. People in Congress know this. And um, you ask what will make this come together? Um, we've always heard, and Rahm Emanuel said, you know, don't ever let a, a crisis go to waste. Uh, the only thing that I see is going to do this because Congress and the politicians don't have the backbone to do the, the changes in these programs is there'll be austerity measures. And I, I remember saying this to John Boehner. I says, we have a debt problem. It's not an income problem. It's how we spend our money. And it's one of those situations you can't ignore. Um, you either deal with your debt proactively or your debt will deal with you. And the way it will deal with you is through austerity measures. And austerity measures is where there is mandatory cuts in these programs. And there will be hell to pay by the citizens when you start taking benefits away or payments. And I don't want to say Social Security or retirement or, you know, VA benefits. Those aren't really benefits because those are things people fought for and earned. But there will be other programs that are going to be cut. And uh, it's going to get ugly. You know, you look around the world at what happened, Greece, France, um, Argentina, um, these areas where they have gone through austerity measures and look what happened to the populations. Look at what happened to the riots in the street. And um, that's where we're headed. Uh, and I don't see a way to get out of this. And unfortunately, a lot of countries in the past, when this has happened, they went to war, you know, for some other reason, but it just changed their economy and upset the apple cart. You know, we might have more truth in lending, so to speak, if you, uh, the country were uh, analogous truly to our situations as citizens. We had to borrow this money from another country. Uh, right. How does China figure into this? Uh, Doesn't China, well, China own a lot of our debt? They used to own a lot of our right. debt, but they have they have been divesting in American uh, assets. Uh, they've invested in a lot of our business and in our stock market. Um, Japan is now the largest holder of our debt, which is a good thing because they're a strong ally. But it's also a scary thing because if we default, they default. You know, the, the situation in the world is if America gets a cold, everybody else gets pneumonia. And that goes with our debt, too. And uh, um, China has been moving to get away from us. Um, you know, they're trying to get the their currency to become the world reserve currency. You know, right now the U.S. Uh, dollar is the world reserve currency. It's the petrodollar, we call it. Um, everything is pretty much traded in U.S. dollars. But Saudi Arabia has just made a big deal with China on um, uh, selling their oil to China. And China says you have to take payment in the yuan. And so uh, when other countries start doing this, you're going to see the dollar move away from the world reserve currency. And what that means for us is that means that our dollar is getting to a point where people don't want it. And what that means is it's going to become devalued. And um, it's, it's an ugly scenario. And so it weakens America. And this is why it's so aggravating watching Janet Yellen, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen formally puts Congress on notice last week that the agency will have to start get this extraordinary measures. After the U.S. reaches a 30, $31.4 trillion debt limit on Thursday of this week. So tomorrow we're going to reach our debt limit. And that's when all the ugliness happens. And you and I have talked about when I went up there and the fight I had, and I says, I'm not raising the debt ceiling. The misinformed news media or the disingenuous news media said, Yoho says defaulting on our debt is good. And a default does not, or not raising the debt ceiling does not trigger a default. My whole argument was, if we recognize we have a problem and we are willing to put in the programs to change our trajectory of our debt curve and our spending, it would give assurance to the people that are buying our debt that, you know what, America realizes they have a problem. They're going to take the tough measures to change their, their um, trajectory of their spending. 
and they're going to get their fiscal house in order. How much stronger would this nation been had we started that when I went in Congress at $13.5 trillion of debt versus today at $31.4 trillion in debt? I mean, I think it's pretty, anybody can answer that. That would have been a lot better to deal with it then. And the crazy thing, Ward, if we don't deal with it today, what are we going to do? Wait till it gets 40, 40, $42 trillion? And it, you can't do it. And that's when those hard austerity measures. And that could happen, you know, if we went to, a, if we got involved in a war. Look at what the pandemic cost us as far as uh, not just lives, which is tragic enough, but the amount of debt this country went into um, with the, um, the force mandates and the PPE uh, 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 payment protection programs. Excellent, excellent uh, uh, discussion, Ted. In case you all are wondering why I'm the guest and Ted is the host, uh, my internet is down here at the Manly Warthog Mantee, Um and we're just uh, reversing the roles, and uh, you should not even notice a bit of difference, with the exception I can't see the chats coming in, so I'm sort of anticipating uh, questions that you, the audience, might have um, as you listen to Ted Yoho uh, talk about his experience with uh, is a stay in Congress and an attempt to stymie uh, some sort of illogical response to the crisis that's just being uh, kicked down the road, as we say. This is a really big problem, um, my friends, and uh, it's one of those things which I think has got so many contradictions. For example, Ted, uh, what was this? shell game that Biden just pulled, Inflation Reduction Act. It really was an inflation-increasing act, wasn't it? It really is. I mean, it's it's a shell game like you brought up. It's it's like Pelosi's the People Choice Act, and you guys have heard me talk a lot about this, H.R. 1, that changed the voting rules, uh, which was unconstitutional because they're mandating to the states how they change them. And um, they changed that bill to the John Lewis Civil Rights Voting Act. They changed the rules in that, and that's why the Democrats are winning. It's not because of poor candidates. I know there are, there's always poor candidates, so that's nothing new. And there's always good candidates. Um, but it's a shell game, and they, they name these things really good, the Inflation Reduction Act, but it doesn't do that. You know, and you brought that up, and I'm glad you did because this reminded me of um, when I went into Congress and everybody's arguing about the debt. Oh, well, let's do something about it. They came out with this brilliant idea. In fact, it was Ron DeSantis that said, no budget, no pay. And I don't know if you remember that, but if Congress can't get a budget, then they shouldn't get paid. And it was a great messaging because American people are rallying behind it. Yeah, don't pay those sorry son of a guns. And um, they knew they, the people in Congress, and I believe I voted no against that because it was a messaging bill. It had, it was just something to put out there and people could rally around. I voted for this, that if I can't get a budget, I'm not going to pay myself. Well, they knew good and well that they're going to get paid. The other thing they did is a program called PAYGO. So you pay for a program, you know, to, to pay for, say, the Department of Education, you know, the billions of dollars that go in there. If you're going to pay that, you've got to take, you've got to have the money to pay for that. Well, that lasted until people stopped talking about it because they never did that. This year, I'm hearing a new phrase called cut, cut go. So if I spend a million dollars, I've got to cut a million dollars in spending somewhere else. And it's a, it, it sounds good on paper, but in reality, it'll never happen. Um, but this is the garbage the politicians throw out there. Uh, it's just like we hear, we heard a lot of politicians last week, uh, the first week in Congress, when they said, we fired 86 or 87,000 IRS employees. BS. <laughs> they didn't do that. They passed the bill in the House that they know darn good and well. It will never see the light of day in the Senate. And if it did, Biden would never sign it. So they didn't fire anybody. But they're going to be out there and, and asking for you to send money because they fired and they want to keep the fight up. And it's just so much. I, I, I found a new word for BS. It's called sophistry. 
And it's, you, you just convince people. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds better. Yeah. Sophistry. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, yeah. It, it's, it's you tell something with such fervor and, and belief and passion that you, you just, the person listening has got to go, that's got to be true. No, it's not. It's BS. Um, and so, you know, these people that are saying we fired all these uh, IRS agents. No, they didn't. So they're going to do the same thing. You know, the cut go. Well, we voted to, if we're going to spend this money, we're going to cut it somewhere else. The thing Congress will not do is cut. Very rarely do they cut programs. I mean, we I have seen things cut, but it it's like a whack-a-mole. You cut it here, it pops up over here. Well, it's uh, very well presented by you because you probably have more experience than anyone. Well, you certainly do have more experience with this uh, than I, anyone I know. And I can hear the frustration. Uh, oh, man. You know, let me ask a personal, let me ask a personal question. I, you don't have to answer. Your frustration with getting anything done had to, I guess, influence you with your decision whether to hang around there or not. Maybe I'm just reading into this, but it's certainly what a normal person, it seems to me, a sane person would say, how can I deal with these people? That weighed into a lot of that. I mean, I'm like, you know, if you're all working together to solve a problem, man, there's the teamwork, there's that, you feel like your energies are not wasted. But when you go in there and you have members saying, yeah, no, we should really cut, but we can't. You know, uh, I remember on that budget meeting when Diane Black was the interim chairman of the budget committee. I did the pie chart. We call it the Pac-Man chart where it shows, you know, the, the mandatory spending and the discretionary. And they're going at each other and the, the mandatory is a lot bigger. And I said, Diane, you know, this is true. And she goes, yeah, but we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And I'm like, you know, God bless you, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but if I ran my business of 30 employees, if I ran it the way we, you guys are running the government, I'd be out of business. And, um, you know, we didn't have the luxury of printing money. Um, it's, it's a shame that, you know, they don't see that. They recognize it, but they don't have the backbone to challenge leadership. Um, and that's why I was so adamant about Kevin McCarthy not being the speaker. And, and if you read the reports or the articles out there on what Steve Scalise uh, and Kevin said that they're going to do, they're going to take this on and they're going to make sure that we get the spending under control. Um, you know, I hope they do for the sake of, of America and future generations. But I've seen this record before <laughs> or this movie before. And it, the only thing different is it's got more scratches in this uh this RPM record, and uh, it, it's <laughs> it just sounds like Charlie Brown. Oh, wah, 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 wah. We're gonna do we're gonna do this. And, oh, they're gonna get up there and shake their fist. But and again, I hope they do. By God, I hope they do make a difference. But I just don't see it happening. You know, you're you're addressing a subject that I covered the other day. That uh, the lack of gumption is an old word I used to hear my grandmother use. You don't have any gumption. Uh, I guess it came out of the rural society. Get up and go do something, you know. And and uh, you, you you just couldn't just lie around. And, and uh, where I grew up, you had to be a member of the team. And out, uh, I don't want to digress her too much, but I remember I was, uh, as a kid, assigned the task of, eating the chickens, and when I say chickens, there were 10,000 of them in a big chicken uh, place we had that raised chickens. <laughs> you know, I did it by myself. I mean, it was not the most pleasant job in the world, but it was a job, and we were known as workers, and therefore my, my older people told us we'd always be valuable in the community. We were known as workers. And, you know, underlying all of this is this, the emphasis of the value of work. and. Uh, this is all part, I suppose, of the leftist plan is to, if you work, you're independent and you make your own decisions, you're responsible for your behavior. And if you're um, employed, so to speak, by the government, even if you're not doing a job, and the government's paying you, which is basically what we've got. We've got a lot of people who are employed by the government, Ted, who aren't doing any work. I mean, really, if you think about it, uh, they're getting their livelihood from the government. 
which means well, they're getting it from those of us who are doing the work. No, I agree with that. And, you know, it's one of those those uh, statements you hate to say that people in government, they don't do any work. There are a lot of great government employees, as you know. But as I mentioned before on this program, the Department of Energy has um, sixteen over 16,000 employees. The average income is about $125,000. Um, you compare that with rural Alachua or, you know, um, uh, Putnam County. I mean, that's uh, that's a windfall for people making that kind of money. And then you throw in the benefits. You know, if you work for the federal government and you have college debt, they'll write off $800 a year in your, uh, no, I think it's $800 a month. Um, they'll write off in your student loans. Of course, the Biden administration's giving that money away. And um, it's hard. Well, it's like the founder said, when you get over 51% of your people, uh, depending on the government for an income, the game's over. And we're, we're real close to that. You know, I, I pulled up an article here, you know, talking about, um, deja vu, uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, deja vu all over again, Yogi Berra. Yeah. Um, I got an article here. Steve Scalise uh, says, uh, Scalise introduces CAP, the Debt Act to Control Runaway Spending. The interesting thing is this is December 10th of 2009. And it's called the Control America's Purse Strings to Deliver a Better Tomorrow Act. And uh, <laughs> uh, these things go on over and over again. And he says, we need to restore fiscal responsibility in Washington and put an end to this out-of-control spending and massive debt that's being dumped onto your children and grandchildren. The first rules of holes of holes states that when you find yourself in a hole, you stop digging. All right, that was 2009. How many years ago is that? We're in 23. That's 14 years ago. Does anybody see a problem here? And Kevin McCarthy, right along with him, will say the same darn thing. Uh, it's sophistry. <laughs> sophistry, word, I like that. I like that. That word flows off your mouth better than the other one. You don't get in trouble for it. Um, <laughs> but it's it's 2009, 14 years ago. These are the people that are in leadership directing the Republican Party. You get these new freshmen that come in there. Um, there's one that took a sp position from Clay County, and he's up there, and he's rah, rah, no, oh, Kevin's this and Kevin's that, and you know, I like that representative as a person, but by God, if you're up there and you see the mess, if you see it, the house is on fire, you better start grabbing a bucket and start putting it out. And, uh, you know, these people are unwilling to do that at the expense of our, number one, it's a national security issue. You know, the biggest threat to our nation, number one, is I, I, I say this, and this is going to offend a lot of people, it's ignorance, you know. And the fact that if these people aren't doing their job, throw their rear ends out. The other thing is our debt. The third thing is our um, um, uh, uh, is China. Those are the three things that this nation has to deal with, and it, it can't wait till tomorrow. It needs to be dealt with today, and uh, we got a lot of work to do to save the republic. I'm the Ted Yoho and roles reversed right now because at the uh, Manley Warthog Man Cave, the internet is down. Uh, if you're just checking into the show, we discussed at the beginning of the show uh, how much we're all dependent upon the internet and how easy it would be, comparatively speaking, in terms of military strategy to just totally disrupt uh, the assumptions that we have come to live with as if they were always going to be true. Uh, disrupting the internet would nationwide would bring the nation down so uh we are doing a role reversal today and you may you can see ted on the show uh, i've called in on the call in line we're going to take a break now for the ward's weather report and i got to tell you i can't really tell you what the weather is because what the weather is really is what i can see outside the studio window because i don't have access to any of the uh, weather patterns but i do know from uh, looking at it before the internet went down, uh, generally what's happening. So we'll take a break here 
and thank our sponsors and our donors. And I'll be right back in a moment on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melman Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. I am speaking over our call in line, and Ted Yoho is with us on the video and audio. Our roles are reversed today because the Warthog Command Center does not have Internet. Uh, but I do want to just sort of ad lib on the weather and say as I look out the studio here in our particular pasture here in the real tiny woods of north central Florida and God's country, why uh, we've got a bright, sunshiny day. And uh, we uh, have probably escaped now the clutches of the cold climb. That really put frost on the ground and ice on the cattle troughs and uh, things of that nature. So. Uh, hopefully we're turning the corner. I think California maybe has uh, finally um, got some relief. But, boy, if you're a skier, now is the time to hustle out there to the Rockies because you have got the greatest dump of snow uh, that's been in this time of year in a long, long time. So um, every the old sailor adage, there never was an ill wind didn't blow somebody a good. Uh, some people really have been pounded negatively by the weather. Others will benefit from it who love the snow and the snow sports. Uh, we're talking with Ted Yoho here today um, about things that should be on everyone's mind, but unfortunately, none of us seems to be able to do anything about it, except on a personal level. And ironically, as the government defaults on its um, uh, responsibility, uh, it trickles down and causes us to have to stretch our budgets uh, uh, quite a bit. And so we ended up we really, one way I've come to look at it, we end up subsidizing the incompetence of our elected officials. Uh, it's, it's the weirdest world. Ted and I were talking about it on the break. It's the weirdest world to live in right now. I don't know. Looking glass through the looking glass. I don't know how you deal with this. The catch-22, the twilight zone. Uh, nothing seems to fully describe how odd things are. The misuse of language is one of the ways I come at this. Uh, the shell game with language, the Inflation Reduction Act is Actually, it's exactly the opposite. Um, 
And I've tried to help you all as a professor of the language, um, to help you understand how to decode the narrative, because uh, it, it, the narrative of the country seems to be written in a code. Uh, unless you know what the words really mean to those who use them, uh, you assume that they mean the same thing to you when actually they don't. We were talking about equality and equity. Equality is all, everybody has an opportunity to succeed. Equity is that nobody is going to be recognized as better than anybody else. They're absolutely diabolically opposed to each other. And what's happening is equality is being replaced with the word equity. You better run for the high hills when you see that word equity. Because what that means, we have an excellent example of this in the Thomas Jefferson School in Virginia that we talked about on the show the other day, where they actually did not report the merit scholars from that school, uh, who were, by the way, mostly Asian Americans, uh, because they didn't want anybody to be uh, uh, seen as better than anybody else. Everybody had to feel good. I don't know, Ted. It's uh, kind of a reversal of roles from what you and I grew up on, don't you think? It sure is. And equity, I mean, you pointed that out just so well. I had a veterinarian that worked for me. She was from the Ukraine, you know, this back 10, 15 years ago. And I said, what was it like living under communism? She goes, um, I, I, I talked and she goes, my dad was a manager at a manufacturing plant and they worked in teams. And if you had somebody that didn't want to work or work hard, the rest of the team had to work and pick up the slack, but everybody got paid the same. And she goes, my dad basically got paid the same. He got a little bit more, he had a little bit of status because he had a title, but that's equity. You know, it, it removes the initiative to go out and achieve and get paid by your work ethic. And again, it's biblical. You, you earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Um, and that's a scary point for our country that was founded on, you know, going out there, being an entrepreneur and capital, you know, taking advantage of the capitalist system. And that's there for anybody. You know, people say it's, you know, it's against all minorities and that the rules were written for old white people. You know what? Those rules were written by old white people. But those rules have allowed pretty much any nationality, any race, any person that comes to this country and applies a work ethic within the system to to live beyond your wildest dreams. I mean, there's billionaires that have been made in America of every race, every ethnicity, and every creed, and every gender. And, um, you know, but they want to destroy that because they want everybody equal. And that's a Marxist, that's, I mean, that's a Marxist thing. That's a Davos thing. That's the WEF forum. They want everybody equal because it's easier to control people that way. Well, I was uh, interested, too, in um, some of the comments now about the internal workings of Congress now that we've got this uh, new speaker. Do you see anything going on at the committee level that is going to be effective? I'm, 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 I'm mindful of what you've said about the committees, that they really don't. I don't know if this is right to say get much done, but uh, um, they're not as efficient. Let's put it this way. They don't seem to be as efficient or as productive as they could be um, or should be. Is that going to be deja all over again? Or, you know, something's got to come out of those committees, don't they? Yeah. The things that will come out of them, they'll pass the bill like the farm bill is due this year. It's due by the end of September of 2023. It's reauthorized every five years. That'll get passed as it got passed the five years before. Um, I worked on that bill, but the reforms we put in there, and I hate to, you know, I, I feel like every time I'm on your program, I talk about food stamps. Part of that is Carol and I were on that for a short period of time for about four to six weeks. Uh, right after we got married, it got laid off. And I know the value of that program, but I also see the waste, fraud, and abuse in that program. And we put in work requirements that were already they were in place. They just weren't being enforced. And so the committee will come out with a bill and it'll get passed. Um, but what I see is a breakdown and a deterioration 
of what we call the regular order process, where the 12 appropriation bills go through committees, they get passed. And if you look back at this last omnibus bill, the NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act, was put into the omnibus bill because they couldn't pass it on its own. And that's usually a standalone bill, as the farm bill is usually a standalone bill. And what we see is the omnibus bill, they just throw everything in there like the garbage can. It's like, you know, the Brunswick stew or the the, the stew of the week, um, where they throw everything in the stew because they throw all the leftovers in there because they didn't plan properly. Um, and I see that happening this year. I, you know, it, it, every every Congress, when I look back, it just deteriorated. You know, I've got this article up here on Steve Scalise, uh, his, his new comments on the debt ceiling. And it's the same old story. He says America, over time, occasionally hits the debt ceiling because it's like a credit card limit. And then he goes on, um, and if you're going to ask for an increase in the limit at some point in time, you've got to sit down and say, why are we hitting the debt limit? Why are we maxing out the credit card? Because this nation's credit card, he added, uh, he goes on and just says, we've got we've to pay our bill, but the debt limit is going to be a problem. So, um, you know, this. Yeah. We're hey, hearing Tammy, you. Uh, hey, Tammy, Tammy, we're hearing you. Tammy, we're hearing you, Tammy. Tammy. You might want Tammy, to text her Tammy. There. I can't text yeah. her. I can't text her. Hold on, though. Can't text uh, her and be on the phone. Okay. Tammy. 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 Anyway, anyway hold on a minute. Everything going smoothly all of a sudden. Uh, hold on a minute. Let me see if I can text her, Ted. Tammy. 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 Text her. What's I can't text her. I don't know the number. I texted her. I texted her. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, she's talking to Phil. Anyways, you know, ahead, it's, it, it's the I same fight. Shut down. Um, you know, an, an interesting article, I don't know if you saw it yesterday, was the Department of Energy finally had to admit that canceling the Keystone Pipeline cost this country over 60,000 jobs, um, over $2 billion of revenue, and it would have produced eight hundred thirty over 830,000 barrels of fuel a day coming from Canada to America. And it was quieted by the Biden administration and the Department of Energy. So you have a federal agency that is suppressing a report that was mandated that they give out they watered it down and, and didn't make an announcement. And it took Steve Daines in the Senate, who was a classmate of mine from Montana. He came and um, he demanded they release this. And so they finally released this, but you're not hearing anything about it. And, you know, they want to blame Putin for the price of gas. It was internally and it was domestic. And I think the bottom line is, and we've seen this through the Trump era, with these agencies is there's an increasing distrust of our government uh, from the top down. And you look at what the FBI did, it's a distrust. And I've got the Department of Energy, whose whole goal was to create security, energy security for this nation. And they're working against the very thing they were tasked to do. Um, it's lunacy. And then, you know, we're going to have to pay all those employees. Uh, debt goes up. And we don't get the work that we deserve from our people in Washington. And, yeah, I'm glad I left when I left uh, because it was just running into a wall every day and hitting your head against it. I didn't have enough hair to like, – You know, you John, 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 Car John Kerry actually said, oh, well, all those jobs, they can go to work for green businesses. Yeah, right. Yeah, that well, you guy. need gas. You need, need petrol to, yeah. to create those green jobs. <laughs> well, it's just you it's gotta, anyway. Yeah, here, here's here's what's talking about money. We have enormous productivity within the uh, 
within the borders of our nation that has been, to your point, uh, shut down for political reasons. Right. on Pipeline being the main one. The whole motto of Trump, which obviously the deep state couldn't stand, was make America great again. Let's make the emphasis on employing our own people, increasing as a businessman, which is the only businessman I could actually remember us having in this president. Now that I think about it, in my lifetime, you know, if we go back uh, to General Eisenhower, military man, and then you come forward, you couldn't say Kennedy was a businessman. You couldn't say Nixon was a businessman. You couldn't say Ford. I don't know where you're going to, you couldn't say Jimmy, well, Jimmy Carter raised peanuts, but you know, to, that didn't prepare him very well to go to DC. So, uh, you know, I just don't know, Ted. I mean, so we run off a guy who's used to uh, approaching things as a businessman, and we, you know, we go back to the same old, same old, and we kind of doctor the narrative that the press is able to say, and we doctor the narrative that shows like this are able to say. Uh, we control the tech uh, platforms so that they don't allow the truth. Um, I, you know, that that's that's kind of complicating the whole situation. So. It, uh, it, you know, it, 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 you coming back from D.C. is 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 understandable. I every morning I get up and go to the microphone, thinking, "Well, I'll try one more day." You know, I mean, it really has come down to that for me. Um, if I don't try, who will? You know, I, I sort of think that. I don't know whether it's uh, it's it's kind of crazy to think that way, but you know, <laughs> if I don't go talk about this stuff, who will? <laughs> yeah, no. oh, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> back on your corner. What about China? If you could, uh, and then one more thing I want to say is I don't, it will never have this return to what it was for, but you know, we used to have, we didn't, the, the dollars to, we have basically a mercenary military now, if you will. These are all hired soldiers. They're not drafted. They're not conscripted. Uh, you know, we don't make our armies and military out of a citizenship uh, uh, base or anything like that. And I have to suspect that that has really increased the cost of uh, having a military. Have you got any feel for that? Am I right or am I out, of, out on a limb there? Yeah, I don't think I'd call them a mercenary army. It's totally volunteer, um, you know, because I know a lot of good people in there that are, are there to serve the country. Um, but to answer your question, uh, if it comes time where we need them, um, you're not going to see people volunteer because they are so disconnected of what it is to be an American and how uh, this country is formed and the ideals because of our educational system that has purposely, you know, re-educated these students. And, you know, it falls in line with the fundamental tra transformation of America that I'll never give up on of, of the Obama and Biden years that's going on right now. Um, to answer your question on the military, they can't get people to go in. Uh, recruitments are way down in all branches. I know in the Coast Guard, they're offering a 50, get this, a $50,000 signing bonus for people to come in and be cooks in the military, in the Coast Guard. Um, I mean, those really? numbers are unheard of, $50,000. And that's going throughout all the branches. And I, I spoke at the War College in Jacksonville, NAS Jacks, probably about six years ago. And I asked the, the head instructor, the commandant, I said, what is your biggest challenge um, in, that you see? And he said, resilience. I said, what do you mean? He goes, the resilience of our fighters. He goes, these kids come in. He goes, they don't have the work ethic. They don't have this and that. And he goes, they're supposed to be able to do a two-mile run in a certain amount of time. And if they can't do it, we can't discipline them the way we used to could. And you look at what they've done with the Marine Corps. Um, you can't say, sir. They don't want you to say, yes, sir, no, no ma'am. Um, you know, they're getting away from those very things that define those, um, well, partly define those departments. And, um, yeah, it's a tough situation. And, you asked about China or this was going to lead into China. China's playing the long game. Um, the only way you to deal with China is to know what their end game is. And their end game is to be the world hegemon, which means the controlling interest of the world, not just economically, but militarily 
you know what? And they're doing it. They're doing it, and they've been doing it since the Nixon era. Actually, Carter helped, and then Nixon. You know, Carter gave he gave concessions to China early on. He wanted to invite them into the world community. Uh, he started that, and then he gave away the Panama Canal, and China controls both ends of that. That's a huge, huge political blunder and a national security risk uh, because they could shut that off. Can you imagine what that would do with trade coming from Asia if they can't go through the uh, Panama Canal? They either have to go, um, it would be going west around the world or they have to go around South America. Um, they're talking about the new route up in the Arctic because of the snow melt, but you're going to see that freeze over before long. And, you know, um, so we've got, we've got serious problems this nation, nation is fa- facing. I don't need our politicians going up there giving us sound bites. And then right after the sound bite, they put it on the internet and says, look at my sound bite, send me $5. If they're not changing the direction of this country, I want to throw them out, you know, and just start replacing these people until somebody's got the grit to stay in there and challenge the leadership. Well, I guess we can conclude. Maybe we got a few minutes left. Excellent, excellent summation, by the way. And um, I guess mercenary is, a, is the wrong word. I mean, you know, no, I know there are a lot of fine people right. um, in, in the military, but but I'm concerned about the the, in the 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 service back to the community in some form. It seems to me we have more takers than we do have givers now, and um, that is playing right into the hands of the socialists that we have um, come to see these people as uh, welcome to the base of the socialists because that's the type of mindset they want. They want somebody who's prepared to to believe that the help is coming from the government and not from their own initiative. Right. And we see it throughout the failure of the Justice Department. Uh, maybe we can speak for just a moment here on the end uh, about what is perceived any, anyway as hypocrisy on the so-called classified documents. Do you have any discussion <laughs> or uh, opinion about that, Ted? Uh, I mean, that's just, that is hypocrisy. I mean, you talk about don't let the pot call the kettle black. Um, You know, it's just, I mean, it's so obvious. And where's the media? Where in the heck is our media? Uh, Where's the outrage? You know, I mean, that's all you heard about Trump and the documents. And it's it's a joke. Um, But again, the underlying problem is the American people not being engaged. And I think a large part of that comes from the frustration that I read, I, I vote, you know, I attend town halls, I go to PTA meetings, and nothing changes. We have to do it in a concentrated, orchestrated method to where we come out in mass and say, we're not putting up with this crap anymore. Um, it's time to change the status quo. And, you know, I can't say enough. If people, if people are in office and they're not doing, if they're not making a dent, if you're not hearing how, radical they are as far as changing our country back to the founding principles. I have no mercy on them. Throw them out. I mean, they're great people, but they don't need to be controlling my government. And you you were talking about somebody that was in politics their whole life. You know, I look at Ron DeSantis and I mean, he's a lawyer. He he was a JAG officer, but he's been in politics all his life. The guy that took the district north of where I used to be, Clay County, he's been in politics his whole life. from a uh, city commissioner to the town mayor to the state rep to a state senator. Now he's a U.S. congressman. You know, has he ever run a business? Um, that's the thing, the beauty about Trump. Yeah, he was coarse, but he got to where he was in business by not being a, a, just a, a pushover. He was a fighter. And, I mean, we've seen that. And for one of the reasons I'd love to see him back in there, he knows the deep state. He knows how where it is, and I think he could clean house. But you know, I don't think people will support him unless he changes his tactics. See, that's a pretty good summation. They have done a lot of damage. That's one of the things the Democrats have been very successful at. We've yeah. drawn out impeachment and um, you know January sixth hearings and all that, and um, 
you know, they've, they've pounded away at uh, besmirching him to the extent that people are now saying, well, I like him, but I just don't want to keep putting up with all this uh, negativity. And, of course, that's the tactic of the Democrats. They sure. have never, ever said anything good about the guy that I can remember. And basically, fundamentally, um, he was good for He wanted to support the country. I mean, that's, you know, how can you take that away from what he really was uh, all about? Well, we appreciate uh, he this um, you, the listeners. He, and the, he loves this country. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, the listeners and the viewers, appreciate this on the role reversal today. We explain <laughs> it just as we leave at 10 o'clock here. Uh, Ted was uh, being seen and heard, and I was heard on the call-in line. The Internet is down here at the command center. But Ted, thanks so much for uh, stepping right in there as if everything were normal. Not and a problem, is. man. The roles are reversed, but you'll never be replaced. And I want to say uh, happy birthday to uh, Plantation Mark, too. Okay, buddy. Well, thank <laughs> you so much. I'm going to signal production, uh, whom I apologize for you hearing him a little bit, uh, uh, they probably re- didn't realize the phone line was open to talk to us and was also <laughs> open to talk. To, I heard one of the other production guys come in and talk to, to uh, our, so they were talking to each other over our open phone line. But it all worked yeah. out well, and yep. uh, we'll hopefully be back on the uh, – Ted, I hope to see you next Wednesday, uh, hear you and see you. So um, um, thanks for all you do for the show, and thanks for everything you've done for the country, and uh, thanks, thanks for contributing for your thoughts to the – yes, sir, buddy. Keep getting your voice out there. Center out.